Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Welcome, everybody. Glad to see all of you here this morning. Um, We've been going through a series, uh, just started a series last week on Deuteronomy. And before we start reading, I want you to think, how many of you have ever been in a mission and vision planning meeting? Anybody ever been in one of those? Raise your... Okay. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with mission and vision planning meetings because I really believe in mission and vision, and I believe that they're very important. I actually, uh, Donald Miller wrote a book called Building a Story Brand. And he talks about how you probably should come up with a mission statement for your own family. That in your, between you and your spouse and with your family, you should say, this is our mission statement as a family. So I'm, I'm all in favor of that. And I firmly believe in it. But I would also say that I really struggle in those mission and vision meetings. Because usually there's a lot of... They're, they're just, they can be quite painful sometimes as people are deliberating. If, if you're not familiar at all with the terms, I don't know if anyone has decided what exactly each of the terms means, but in general, a mission statement is, this is our purpose. This is what we do, why we do it. A vision statement is kind of a, this is where we see us going, or this is what we see in the future being accomplished. And and part of my, I'm going to list out two mission and vision statements for you that are major companies, and I think you're going to, I think you're going to chuckle a little bit. So Microsoft, their mission statement is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. All right. Um, part of me wishes they would just say something like to make money because that's probably what they're like deep down mission statement. I'd almost like appreciate it more. Just like, yeah, we're trying to make a lot of money. Um, Starbucks is mission statement. This one's a good one. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Who's ready to go buy a Starbucks? <laughs> You know, I just, that one does make me smile. And this one, this is an example of something where I have a feeling they're sitting in that room and they're debating, do you think like the CEO and CFO of Starbucks are like, we want to inspire the human spirit? You know, I don't know. I just think they want to sell coffee. You know, if their, if their thing was like to have the best coffee company in the world, that, I, would, I would understand that a little bit more. It just seems a little like this. And this is what churches do sometimes too when I've been in these meetings. A lot of the times, whenever we talk about what our mission is, part of me wants to ask, is this what we do or is this what we wish we did? You know what I mean? Are you following me? It's like, is this who we are or is this who we wish we were? Is this like, you know, when we make our core values, should it be like three core values? Because if it's core, it shouldn't be all that many. But lots of organizations have like 20 core values. It's like by definition, that is not a core value because it's like a bunch of value. You got It can't be core if there's like more than Five? You know what I mean? Another thing, too, is like, what are the things that we say? This is a lot of times I see this in churches. It's like, well, we've got to put this in our mission statement because if, it, if we don't, then we're, we're missing a part of it. And so, like, a church's mission statement ends up being this, like, 40-paragraph thing that's like, we exist to do this and do this and do this and do this. And, and before you know it, you're like, oh, okay, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't your mission statement. This is a, a long list. But... 
I'm going to give you one example of the best mission statement I've ever seen. This is a company called A21, which was founded by a lady named Christine Kane. If anybody's ever heard of her, she's an incredible speaker, and she is the president CEO of this A21, which is an organization started to end human trafficking of all ages, of all places. And uh, this is their mission statement. You ready for it? Abolish slavery everywhere forever. Who can memorize that? That's pretty good, right? That's a good one. That's one of my biggest things about mission statements where I kind of cringe is you better be able to tell me what your mission is like that. And if it's not something that, like, for example, you have churches that for 20 years they have their mission statement painted somewhere or they have it in their bulletin or they have it everywhere. And if you walked up to a teenager and said, you've grown up in this church, what's our mission statement? They'd be like, uh, come here at 10 a.m. on Sunday. You know, that's kind of how they would react. Love Jesus. By the way, that's, love Jesus is pretty good. I'd take it. That would actually be a great mission statement. You know, two words. I can remember that. But a lot of times we make this huge thing when really mission statements should be abolish slavery everywhere forever. Like that. It sticks with you. And today, I think you could argue we are going to be talking about what the people of God's mission statement was. What You could make an argument for Exodus 34 as their mission statement, but I believe that this, of all things, you could argue is, so as, if you remember from last week, Deuteronomy is the people of Israel on the brink of the Jordan River about to head into the Promised Land. The old generation has now passed on, and Moses is commissioning the new generation to say, we have got to try better. We have got to, it is a call for us to be more faithful to our covenant with God when we go into the Promised Land. And so I'm going to commission you to do this with this sermon and this letter that we call Deuteronomy. And so whenever he's about to send them off, he's about to commission them, this is your mission statement. This is the thing that I want you to plaster all over the place, just like, you know, sports teams have their mission statement, you know, all over the walls. They, they get to build this culture of everything that they wear says it. I think Clifton's used to be faith, fight, finish, right? Was that it? Every shirt you saw, faith, fight, finish. The locker room, faith, fight, finish. This is what we're going to be. By the way, very short, succinct, memorizable. Okay. But what we are going to read today is, in many ways, the mission statement of the people of God. It's something that the people of God, including Jesus, from all the way back to Deuteronomy, all the way to the present today, pray this prayer twice a day, every day, morning and evening. They pray this prayer. So if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we are going to read a prayer that is, has been on the hearts and minds of the people of God for a really long time. Uh, I had a lot of fun on YouTube watching some Jewish rabbis talk about this prayer. And what's cool is every time that they pray it, they sing it. I'm not going to sing it, but they cover their eyes and they sing this prayer uh, twice a day, every day. <clears throat> so if you would, follow along with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's the ESV translation. Your NIV probably says, and they shall be on your, bind them on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
so we're going to be talking about this prayer today, this beautiful prayer. And the first thing that we have to point out is there is a key theme in the whole book of Deuteronomy that I didn't talk about last week that we're going to talk about this week, which is this unique intertwining of these two words that we see throughout Deuteronomy, which is to love and to listen and to listen and to love. This prayer is called the Great Shema because in Hebrew the word Shema means to hear. And so when it says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God is one. That word here is Shema. And so that's why it's called the Shema, prayer. The word here, as you've heard me, probably heard me say before, the word here does not mean let audio waves travel between your eardrums. It means to really allow something to be impressed upon you, for it to turn into an understanding in your heart and your mind, and then for that lead to you to response. An analogy I'm sure I've used before. If I tell my kids, go clean your room. And then 30 minutes later, I said, did you hear me? And they say, yes. If their room is clean, they heard me. If their room is not clean, they didn't hear me. They may be able to say, oh yeah, sure, I heard what you said, but I didn't do it. Then you didn't hear me. And in for the people of Israel to hear is not just about, did I notice a sound coming into my ear, but it is, did it turn into an action or a change in my heart and my understanding of my mind? Here, listen up, Israel, and let this transform how you act and how you love. Let your listening lead to how you're acting and loving. And then, the next part, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the, the word love is another thing that we have greatly watered down in English because in English I could equally say I love bluebell ice cream and I could say I love my children. But obviously I love my children more than bluebell ice cream but I can use the word the same. And that's why it's really cool that in Greek you have all sorts of different words for love. Because the Greeks are trying to express love in different degrees. Well, yeah, I, I love this. Oh, but I really love this. And they would just use a different word. We just have one word. But that's a shame because in Hebrew and in Greek and in Scripture, the word love here doesn't just convey, I have fond emotional feelings about this. But when you love someone, you act in loyalty and in faithfulness to that thing. So both loving, loving action is leading to, I'm going to listen more. How many of you in your marriage, your, the way that you listen has a lot to do with whether your spouse feels like you're appreciating them or not? Are you listening to me? Because I want you to show me your love by the attention you're giving me right now when I'm trying to get you to hear me, okay? And whenever we listen, usually it should lead to action and loving, faithful covenant action. Scott McKnight uh, has this great way that he describes love where he tries to take the words hesed in Hebrew, steadfast faithfulness, and then agape and all the different loves in Greek. And he's come up with this definition of love. He says, love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone with Christ as the standard for as long as it takes. Love is the rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone with Christ as the standard for as long as it takes. That sounds like something, right? That sounds weighty and heavy. And so whenever we hear this phrase, hear O Israel, I want you to hear this, love the Lord your God, these things are words in this passage. They aren't just, they're not just the average verb here. It is really important that these things lead to more. And I want you to remember that Jesus knew this prayer as a young Jewish boy growing up because he prayed this twice a day. In Mark 12, someone came and they asked him. One day one of the teachers of the law came and heard that they, and 
and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. The great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is this. And now he's going to quote from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The second thing I want to point out is that once again we see this key theme of we need you to be memorizing this. We need you to be repeating this and keeping this on your mind and passing it on to your children. As you go into the land, you are going to have your loyalty to this one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Fun little side note. Back in the day, Romans called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in all the gods. They just believed in one God. And so they called them, well, you know, those atheists, because they don't believe in all of our Greek and Roman gods. They just believe in that one. And this concept, God is saying here, when you go into this promised land, you are going to be facing, and your loyalty is going to be so tested with all these other gods. And you need to remember and impress it upon your children that there is one God, and there is one way of life, and that is constantly going to be under threat by the rest of the world. So the Shema was prayed daily to remind the people of Yahweh that Yahweh alone, God alone, is their God, their one God. And you've got to keep passing this on to the generations after you to spare them from the tragic results that come whenever you start to not remember that there is one God and we should follow and have a covenant with that one God. Because if you start to have relationships with the other gods, it will have negative consequences on your life and your children's life. So teach them to repeat daily, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to repeat it to them so much that I want you to bind these words on your hand and on your head. This is our third main point. There are some Jews that take this so literally that they do tie a box that has the, the Torah written in tiny font, and they put it in the box and they wear it on their forehead. There are some Jews that take the Torah and they write it on a strip, they write it out and they cut it into a strip and they wrap it around their arm like an armband, and they wear it on their arm and their head. But I think this is meant to be symbolic, and I think what it's saying is what you see with your you know, what is in front of your head, what is on your mind, and what your hands are doing all the time is who you are, okay? So what you keep at the forefront of your mind and what you do with your hands all the time say something about who you are. And the Shema was meant to guide the vision and the action of every moment of life for the people. As Ronnie said in his communion, what do you think about all the time? What do you do all the time? This is literally what he's saying. May this, these words be on your mind all the time. May they be in your actions, on your hand all the time. John, the author of the letter in Revelation, has this in mind whenever he says, Revelation 13, he's talking about the beast that's going to come. The beast is a symbol of all future empires that will come and oppress the people of God. He says, all future evil, corrupt empires great are going to force all people, in verse 16, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. Okay? He's saying, I don't... I personally believe this is an imagery of the beast, the evil empires, the corrupt governments in the future are always going to be interested on getting something else, them, on your mind all the time. 
having your actions be about something other than God's all the time. But in Revelation 22.4, which you see a little bit lower, whenever John talks about what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, he says, we are going to see God's face, Jesus' face, and Jesus and God's name will be on their foreheads. The people who keep God at the front and center of their hearts and their minds. And so we see John using this as an expression, just like Moses is in Deuteronomy. You are going to give your allegiance to something. Your allegiance will either be to God and His covenant, or it will be to something else. You will have something on your forehead. You will have something on your hand. You don't have a choice about that. You're like, well, I don't, I don't have anything. Yes, you do. Whatever you wake up and you're constantly thinking about, that is on your forehead. Whatever you're constantly doing with your life, that is on your hands. That's what this means. And he's saying, when you go into the promised land, when you journey out into this new world, what are you going to give your allegiance to? Are you going to write the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one? Is that going to be at the front of your mind? Is loving the Lord your God on the front of your mind? Or is other things... Are other things going to be a part of your actions? You will either give your allegiance to Jesus and allow it to influence how you see and act, or your allegiance will be to the destructive powers that also govern how you see and what you do with your life. One path leads to life, and one path leads to death. These ideas and images from John come from Moses' words in Deuteronomy. Something will be on your forehead and your hand. A good example of the way we as a church keep something on our mind all the time is that once a week, every week, we choose to keep at the front of our mind, we get together because of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have life that sustains us because every week, no matter what songs we pick, no matter what the sermon is, no matter, we are going to come back and remember this is all about this. That Jesus' blood and his body sustains us. It keeps it at the front of our minds. And so the last thing, the, the final point, is coming back to this theme of loving and listening. But this time, I'm not going to say loving and listening to God. I'm going to say loving and listening to Jesus, which we know is the same thing. But let's talk about Jesus in this context. I want you to think about the companies that make each of their employees recite their mission statement. Keep it at the front of their mind. They're constantly saying, like, I want you to try and keep this as your purpose. When I was in high school, our football team, and I think football teams still do this all the time, you know, win or lose, you play the school song afterwards, right? When I was in high school, my football coach made us on Fridays stand because we would stand before we would do our workout and we would have to all, as a football team, sing the school song. And I think he was trying to do it because he was like, you know, are you preparing on this Friday in in October, oh, well, I shouldn't say October, Friday in February for how it's going to be on a Friday in October. But part of it is, like, are you keeping this, the point of this on your focus, on your mind? And this is exactly what, Paul, what Moses is trying to do here with Deuteronomy. Praying this prayer keeps the love of God and God alone at the forefront of our focus. What if every morning and every night we recited our wedding vows to our spouse, if you happen to be married? What if every single night you took the vows that you made however many years ago and you said once again to them, I promise to be faithful to you for as long as we both shall live, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer. What if you did that every night? Do you think that it might make a difference? Do you think keeping that at the forefront of your, your heart and mind might make a difference? What if every single night you got down on one knee, fellas, and you proposed again 
that would be an action, that would be writing something on your hands, to once again say, I'm not going to forget this covenant. What if every night I looked my kids in the eye, sat them on the edge of my bed, and I said, I want you to know I love you so much. You are my daughter, whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. You are my son. I am proud of you. I want you to have a good life. What if I did that every night? Don't you think that would do some shaping? Well, God believes this prayer is doing some shaping, and so he wants it to be at the very forefront. When Jesus in John 14, 21, we have this verse, I referenced it either in class last week or on Wednesday or, or last week in my sermon. John 14, 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them, who hears my commands, which, like I said, hearing doesn't just mean you heard it, it means you're doing it, you're responding, you're soaking it in. That's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. Following Jesus is about trusting in His love for us and trusting and obeying Him in response. If we believe Jesus died and rose, which I do, if we believe He did it for us, which I do, then we can only respond with gratitude, humility, and a commitment to honor and love in return. Loving and listening. Listening and loving. Love generates more love, which results in faithful listening and obedience to God. May we be people who... Write this truth on our hearts, our minds, and our hands. May it be our focus. May it be at the center of who we are. May it be our purpose. And may it be in our actions and our very souls with everything we do. If any of you have any prayer requests, we're really looking forward to this baptism that's about to be coming up. Uh, it's really easy to do an invitation song when you know you've got one in the bag already. But uh, we're about to have elders standing at the doors if you'd like any prayer requests. And then we're going to sing this song and then have a baptism after that. If you would, stand while we sing.